Hello, my name is John Brink and we are on the brink from downtown Prince George. An absolute beautiful day in Prince George. As you can see, it's uh, finally, finally, summer has arrived. It is, I believe, the 21st or the 22nd of July, the official start of summer. I have a very interesting guest today and I'm very excited talking to him for the next hour. His name is Bruce Johnston. Bruce, tell me a little bit about yourself and your past. Are you from the area here or? Not from Prince George, John. Uh, thanks for having me first off on the show. Really sure. um, appreciate the invite and happy to be here. I am from close to here. I grew up in Quinell, spent uh, high school years, uh, elementary years in Quinell and then went to uh, Edmonton um, for about 10 years after high school. In, in, to Edmonton. To Edmonton, yeah. yeah. I got, got educated in Edmonton, uh, attended u university in 2004, had a bit of a, a hiccupy start to university in that, um, well, it was significantly harder than I thought it was going to be. I was kind of a golden boy in high school, pretty easy. But once you enter first year engineering, they really hit you with the course load and you have to buckle down if you're going to make it through. Um, after one year in engineering, uh, a good friend of mine who was an exchange student in Quinell, both his, of his parents were killed in a car crash. So another friend of mine, we decided we were going to delay going back to school and go to Munich and spend some time with him. He was from Germany. That ended up being a, a good thing overall because yeah. I got some experience working in a really heavy labor environment. I worked in oil and gas for neighbors production services on an oil rig from lease hand to Roughneck to Derek Hand, um, and after after spending a winter in minus forty, I tell you, you can appreciate why people go <laughs> and get an education so they can work in an office in the north. Yeah. So I I went back to school and was uh, was committed to that program and ended up graduating with distinction in two thousand and nine. Right. So then, <clears throat> you know, so growing up in Quanell, you know, and for our international or national uh, watches, it's about. Uh, 100 kilometers south of here yes and it's a beautiful community and uh, it is. you know so uh, where did you get the idea of going into engineering well i think to be honest my mom pointed me in that that direction mm -hmm. i was always good at math taking things apart wanting to know how things worked i ended up uh, working from a young age at tolco i believe you mentioned that in your book actually that you worked momentarily or, or briefly for Tolco? Uh, Not Tolco, but uh, close to it. Yeah. In, okay. Yeah. So that was, that was uh, an eye-opener. Um, that's heavy work working in a sawmill. <laughs> I tell you, turning boards. Hands-on. Eh? Oh, yeah. That wasn't hands-on, but it was, it, there's just a lot of labor involved. It's yeah. a hot, hot environment. Yeah. Um, but, but yeah, I was just good at math. So my mom pointed me in the, into that direction. There wasn't a lot of people in our family to go to university. And she was yeah. adamant that, you know, if we had the skill, um, the knowledge, just, just go for it. Yeah. So you, so then from high school, you went to Edmonton. Yes. Why Edmonton? Well, I got a, I got a scholarship there and so okay. did my, so for, did, why did you get a scholarship because of basically because of grades, the grades that you had. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I was a good high school, school student, uh, focused and got good grades and, and ended up getting a, a pretty significant scholarship to, um, to U of A, um, as did my long-term girlfriend, Amanda Johnston, who I ended up marrying and uh, we're now husband and wife. We, we were married in 2009 as well. Yeah, you already knew each other in high school, right? So she was your high school sweetheart. It, it doesn't hurt for the decision-making though when you and your girlfriend both get a scholarship to the same university. <laughs> Amazing, eh? yeah. So you were meant to be, you know, and uh, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, you have two children? I do. Yeah. Yes. They are boy girl? Uh, two boys, six and three, Declan and Kellen. Declan and? Kellen is the younger Kellen. one. Yeah. How old are they? The, the older one's six, yeah. just finishing up kindergarten, and the youngest one just turned three. Right. So th just going back then to the, your first year in university in Alberta, when you started in engineering, a whole new environment, tough, tough doing, and then correct me if I'm wrong, then, then a good friend of you in Quanell lost both his parents. That's right. 
that was a shock, right? So the friend of mine wasn't from Cornell. He was an exchange student that came from Munich and spent a year in Cornell. But okay. during his time in Cornell, we became very close. And, you know, uh, I said, if anything, if you ever need anything, yeah. I'll come over to, to Europe and help you out. Yeah. And we kind of <clears throat> knew we were friends. We knew that that meant something. Huge, right. Uh, so th there's not a lot of people in life that you have that sort of connection with exactly. and that was an opportunity to show him that I was a real friend yeah um, yeah and that's how come you went to Germany yeah that was uh, that was my second time in Munich but my um, but yeah that was yeah. that was that's why I went yeah and then uh, you know it gave you a bit of a break on the engineering or yeah precisely then you came back reflect on it now, was Amanda still already at the university then? Correct. We both, we both entered university in 2004. Yeah. And what was she studying? She, at the time, I think she was studying kinesiology or physical education. Yeah. Kind of searching still a little exactly. bit. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. And, and then, uh, so there you want, then came back, you read re-attention re towards engineering. Now for, again, for our guest is that there is all kinds of different areas of uh, engineering that is civil uh, engineering that is uh, you name it all kinds of engineering yeah. so what what kind of engineering did you chose to take well first year is all the same they just throw you in the mix and you take yeah. every single course that there is available from yeah. physics to uh, chemistry yeah um, but second and third and fourth you, you get to select so i chose civil engineering and ended up graduating with a major in structural engineering yeah so and uh, and so the civil engineering deals with properties and landscapes and all of those kind of things. Correct. Do I have that relatively speaking? Yeah, I and think And then you structural it. engineering is more with, as it says, structures. Precisely. Yeah, and and but and then there are different levels of that again, right? Of course, there are. Yeah. Yeah. So then. And, and then, so you, be, you were very successful in that. You completed it in about 10 years, you said? No, sorry, in about... Uh, in four years of the yeah. coursework. Yeah. And then once you graduate, there's a period of time where you have to be an engineer in training. It's four, it's four years as well. So where did you go for the training? Um, well, it, so there was a, a bit of a hiccup after I graduated university and got married. I took a job for North American Piling as a project manager in Regina. A uh, great project, but uh, that was interrupted when I had a serious flare of of my Crohn's. I have Crohn's yeah. disease. I was yeah. You had already since you were sixteen, right? Correct. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. I was diagnosed at sixteen, and um, and Crohn's for those of us that are, don't know exactly, we hear about it, it, has something to do with your digestive system. That's right. Yeah. yeah. It's basically a autoimmune. You, you feel comfortable talking about that, or I do. Yeah, yeah. It's been yeah. a long time. I've I've had it for a long time. Come yeah. to terms with it, and to be yeah. honest, it's not, it's not the end of the world. Everybody yeah. goes through adversity and faces adversity, yeah, yeah. and yeah, I got to do mine early. <laughs> yeah, but it's part of your life, right? So, yeah, it certainly is. Yeah. yeah. So I ended up in the in the hospital for about a, a six week stint. Well, not in the hospital for six weeks, but I was out of work for six to eight weeks, and. Uh, that gave me a lot of time to reflect on my career path and where I wanted that to go and who I wanted to be. And it shook me up quite a bit. So I decided to... That, um, it had also a good part to it, right? For sure it did. Yeah. yeah. I, I mean, I was... I, like anybody, I graduated, uh, you know, full of piss and vinegar, so to yeah, speak. Yeah, well, obviously. <laughs> and and I, I thought I could handle anything. And I yeah. think I entered an environment where I wasn't quite equipped with the tools that were needed to, exactly. to do the job. And my stress level was through the roof. Yeah. So um, by having this time to stop and think, um, I kind of got to regroup and, and I decided that I was going to approach PCL, that's Pool Construction Limited, PCL Builders. I worked Say for them. Say that again, the, the acronym, what does it mean? Uh, Pool Construction Limited. Okay. They're a major construction company, general contracting company based out of Edmonton. Yeah. But they're major, they're, they're worldwide, they're uh, international. Uh, they did the cancer clinic here in town. Um, yeah, yeah. They do some. They pretty, did. Uh, I didn't know that. Pretty yeah. big projects. Yeah. So I had worked for them when I was in university as a summer student, uh, just doing labor, cleanup, uh, sweeping, just put myself through school, making some bucks. I just so, want to kind of get this correct in my mind. You spent also some time in Fort Saint John. Yes. And and for a 
Phoenix or so. What was the name of again? The, 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 so the oil and gas company in Fort St. John was between first year and second year. So about right. 16 months or something. And that was... To make money correct. for... Correct. That yeah. was the fastest money maker at the time. Oil yeah. was booming and they well, were yeah. paying big money. And, and yeah. I could put a lot of money in the bank and go back to school. I didn't, exactly. have, a, we didn't, I didn't have a lot of money. So no. that's, that's the you delay. You had to make your way through it. One way or the other. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So at this stage in, in my life... Uh, I decided that I wanted to be a carpenter because I had some knowledge. Some so how smarts. old were you then? Mm, now I would have been 22. 22. You, you already were married uh, <laughs> yeah. for... Uh, about six months. Six, four, mu six yeah, months. Something like that. And, and all of a sudden you said, uh, Amanda, sit down. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I'm going to be a carpenter. <laughs> I, think, I think she was actually glad that I made the decision to slow yeah. down because the pace that I was kind of operating at to that point was, it was not sustainable. Yeah. So I think she was glad that I, I made that yeah. conscious decision to, to yeah. slow down. And then I entered the world of Carpenter's Apprentice. Yeah. And that was humbling. Now, you had some experience already with carpeting. You had uh, a fellow that you worked with closely that was a, yes. a master carpenter. Yeah, Dave Pettis. Very interesting guy. We became really good friends. He was Where my mentor. Where did you meet him then? I, meet, I met him. Uh, actually, I convinced him. Uh, I started working with him. He was kind of a grumpy guy. And I had my tool pouch on and I had packed it full of nails and everything, all these things I didn't need. It was so heavy and it was so hot and I was sweating yeah. so much and, yeah. and he didn't really want to work with me. And I said, man, you know, I want, I want you to mentor me. I want you to yeah. take me under your wing and show me how exactly. to be a real carpenter. And he said, uh, don't take that tool pouch off for two weeks. Yeah. Very sternly, very seriously. Mm -hmm. And I wore that thing for two weeks. I never took it off except for coffee breaks and <laughs> lunchtime. And at the two week mark, he came over to me and he said, okay, now you're my apprentice. And he took everything that I didn't need out of my tool pouch. And he said, these are the items that you need on this job site for your tools. And, and that's it. You've been packing around 10 pounds too much for two Amazing, weeks. Yeah. And I'm going to teach you how to be a carpenter. Yeah. So that sort of, uh, that, that was incredible. Amazing experience. Huh? It was, yeah. Yeah. So that then laid the foundation for, where did you go next? <sighs> well, in 2012, my wife took a job at the University Hospital Northern BC, uh, right. UHMBC, right. here in Prince George. And I followed her a few in months. In psychology? In physiotherapy. Physiotherapy, yeah, okay. Uh, and she still works there, actually. She's yeah. been there for 10 years. She loves it, loves the environment. Yeah. Uh, it's, a, it's been a great job for her. Yeah. So, I mean, obviously, um, we, we had talked about where we were going to go and what exactly. we wanted to do. Yeah, yeah. This was a mutual decision. And we were starting to think about family and where we wanted to set roots down. Yeah. And Prince George was close-ish to Quinell. Yeah. Uh, so we, we both had parents in Quinell at the time. So we decided on Prince George. And that's not that... Um, I don't hear that that often. You, a lot of people in Prince George, you hear that they had a five or ten year plan or something or a two year plan. <laughs> and we decided to be here. We, yeah. we like Prince George, we enjoy Prince George, and there were some attributes about it that, that really uh, made us select it. It's yeah. the right size community to, to get to know people um, and, and also make a splash, and there's some opportunity for business owners and entrepreneurship. Yeah, and, and so <clears throat> now you're in Prince George, but did you, so where did, where did it go from there? In terms of engineering, did you start working for yeah. Access then? Yes. Yeah. And Eventually, I did. The fellow that owned it at the time was Foley, right? Fergus Foley. Yeah, you yeah. betcha. He's still there. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I, I got my Carpenter's Red Seal endorsement in carpentry right before I left Edmonton. That's actually why I delayed coming to Prince George yeah. about three or four months after Amanda got the job that. to complete that. Exactly. Yeah. I wanted the ticket. Extremely valuable. You know, <clears> for to, sure. Was your your engineering d degree and to have that kind of a background is somewhat unique yes yeah i mean you couple <clears> those two things together i had this formal education in ed in engineering yeah in structural engineering yeah. and then i had this practical you know hands-on education exactly. in carpentry i was full of confidence and i was ready to yeah. re-enter the world of engineering that i was kind of bounced out of so suddenly with that health issue yeah 
Um, so I ended up working in, in 2013, early 2013, I took a job with Access Engineering yeah. and Fergus Foley was the owner. Yeah. Um, and so how did this go? He, at the, at the time he was looking towards retirement. Yeah. I don't think he would have told anybody that, but I, I kind of knew I, you got yeah. the feeling after a couple of interviews that that's what he was scoping me out for it. And yeah. vice versa. I was looking for an opportunity Get to, to buy a business door. potentially. Yeah. Um, so, so yeah, he hired me and three years later, I got my professional engineering designation and I purchased the, the controlling shares. Yeah, of the and it still was a small company then, three, four employees or so? It was, yeah, yeah. it was very small. Office on 2nd Avenue there, I think yeah. there was three and a half positions, something like that. Yeah. So I, I got to spend a lot of one-on-one -on -one time yeah. with Fergus. Very valuable. For sure. Uh, he's, he's a wealth of knowledge. Oh, he, no he is... He's, I won't tell you how old he is, but <laughs> he's been doing this for a long time, 40 plus years as a design engineer. Yeah. And uh, he taught me how to do things um, kind of the old fashioned way with a, with a pen and paper yeah. and free body diagrams and a code book. And that's not the way most engineers design these days. Not today. So that, that was helpful for me. Yeah. For professional development. Yeah. <clears throat> and so now you bought the place. Yep or made a deal in terms of acquiring it. Yes. How did that all go? Because people <laughs> that, you see, the way I look at you, Bruce, uh, you know, you're an entrepreneur, <laughs> you know, that, that already started in that direction very early in life. You got the directions from your mom. It became clear for her that that's the way to go, go to university and then, uh, you know, and then from there and then all these other things happened. And then you acquired this, the, the hands-on work at, uh, in the sawmills. You got exposure to that. You went in the oil fields. You had to uh, go out and, and pay for your schooling and find places where you had to go. Uh, not always, with all due respect to Fort St. John and those kind of places, but the oil fields were not exactly a destination. And, uh, <laughs> no. But it's a place to make money, and, and that's what you did. And then from there on in, you know, the, the goal in life is to own something, right? Like that. Yes. And then how do you get your foot in the door? That's always the question people ask me mm -hmm. is, uh, you know, because when I came here, I couldn't speak the language, didn't know a soul, didn't have a job and at $25.47. I couldn't speak the language, <laughs> you know, and, but I had a dream, you know, so and uh, build a sawmill, you That's know, right. a lumber mill. Yeah. And, and so you did the same in a way. So how did you, so, you know, Foley wants to sell and you want to buy. So how do you put a deal together for those yeah. that are out there and saying, well, I'll never own anything. Well, there's always ways. Yes. It's, it's always, there are always ways of doing it. Yes. It's not as easy as it looks, but you there need are a ways motivated <laughs> seller and a motivated buyer. Yeah. Right. Yeah. That, that's straight, uh, straight out of the book. Actually, my, my mom gave me your book several months ago and and like a long time ago and i didn't read it and in preparation for this interview i did read it <laughs> and uh and there were some really interesting parts in that book that that uh that i kind of connected with and one of them was how much time and effort you put into the development of your business plan for your project site down here uh, in downtown prince george yeah and and i remember vividly how much effort and time it took to write that 60 page business plan and how yeah. many times i was told no there's no assets there's yeah. nothing tangible yeah you know you got to sign your life away to get this amount of money which looking back seemed like an insignificant amount of money yeah relatively speaking but i had lots of ideas but no money <laughs> yeah yeah exactly yeah me, me too so it, it took some struggle, but, but finally um, BDC came through with a, with a loan about 24 hours before the contract deadline. I mean, when you're buying a business from somebody, there's some reluctance to let that go, to let that ownership and that control go. So they're not going to facilitate that transaction. You have to, be, you have to go and get it. You have to create yeah. it. Yeah. So uh, it, it happened. It, it happened and, and not long after being in the driver's seat, uh, it became glaringly obvious that we needed some support in the administrative side if we were if we were going to grow the company or if I was going to grow the company. Um, and, and then something else happened because that. But I always say <clears throat> is that success you can't do it alone. 
you know, you cannot soar like an eagle if you work with a bunch of turkeys, right? <clears throat> so to find those individuals that are special and complementary to your company as you especially go through a growth cycle, that doesn't mean, it doesn't have to be large, but even whatever it is, you have to have those key individuals. Yes. And, and, and through circumstances, you bumped into somebody yes. over dinner. Yes, yeah, exactly. I, well, we were at a friend's place for dinner. And after dinner, we went on the patio and we started having, you know, good conversation. And I had mentioned that there's this opportunity of access and, you know, this might be a good fit for you. Uh, this was before I owned the company. This so is a I was thinking lady ahead. by the name of... Alicia Clementson. Yeah. Uh, we went to school with Alicia, yeah. both Amanda and I in Cornell. Yeah. So Amazing, we've known her for a long time. Yeah. yeah. And, and we trusted her. Yeah. And she trusted us. And so I think important, right? because of that, that's what enabled this all to, to happen. At the time, she had a different position working full time for, for a prominent company. And uh, she had a really good career projection. And, yeah. and um, I kind of made this offer off you know kind of off the cuff like this is what yeah. this could look like yeah and i said these are the certifications that you need to have and and we made a handshake deal and she went back to the college and for a year for a year and a half of night year school, and a half to a get the skill sets yep a year and a half of night school <clears throat> and not only that she went back for a year and a half and, and she didn't even tell anybody this was yeah. all kind of under the radar um and then when she was finished and got her certifications um she started full-time almost immediately after she got her certification she right. started full-time as the office manager and within within i think like seven months she was a shareholder in the company Ma major shareholder right major yeah yeah yep. so so now where you are nearly correct me if i'm wrong 10 years after you made the deal yeah i think yeah i think we're seven about years that. Yep. Yep. yeah and and uh, and so what does the company look like now from the time that you started working there and made the deal to buy it? Well, uh, it's, it's night and day, to be honest. There were some nice things about having the small company and the fewer employees, but it was, uh, it was archaic in terms of document management and, right. and submittals. Uh, the engineering was sound, but the, just the technology it yeah. was, wasn't there. So uh, <laughs> we went from AutoCAD, I don't know if you know what that is, it's an automated computer-assisted drafting program, yeah. to, to, to Revit, a building information modeling. So now every single one of our projects is done in 3D. Um, we went from going to the field and collecting data with a measuring tape and a camera to scanning with a CloudPoint hardware to yeah. collect. Everything now is technology, right? For so sure. where everything is computerized and everything is accessible in whole different ways. There's not files and, and file cabinets full of papers and all of that is all in the system. Yeah, precisely. So when we started to grow the company, the first positions that we needed, of course, to generate revenue, were, were, yeah. it was engineering. Yeah. Uh, we hired uh, Tanner Broughton. He joined the owner group in, well, I want to say 2020. And uh, he was from the Lower Mainland, comes from a logging family, has a passion for wood design. He's a specialist in wood design and concrete and handles most of our multi-residential and commercial structural design projects. And then Lyndon and Icaro joined in 2021 bought shares and Lyndon is a structural steel guy has an affinity for everything structural steel absolutely incredibly talented structural engineer um, he handles most of the industrial projects so not necessarily all building stuff but crane supporting structures and these lifting jigs and pretty complicated intricate stuff now, now to attract that quality of people and to keep them people have to stand back again as owners and look at the structure of their company and say, how do I keep them? Yeah. Or do I have to change the structure where they become owners yes. in some form? Yeah. How did you go about that? So I have to back it up a little bit. In 2017, before the rest of the partners were on board, Alicia and I bought Bear Land on 8th Avenue, where our office is now. Yeah. Uh, so and so we decided uh, that we were going to build a new office building because we needed that as an attractant to pull in new personnel. And, yeah. we, and we were out of space in Second Avenue. Yeah. So we bought the land. We designed the building. Uh, Lambert built LTD, a local contractor, constructed the building in 20, oof, 
I think it was, I think it was 2019. March he started, October we moved in. So wow. very condensed construction schedule. Yeah. He, he executed it flawlessly. We actually won an award for being a lead and uh, a lead certified building. Uh, he got an award for that. Yeah. Um, so with that new building, we really had an opportunity to, with the move, with the upcoming move, and we saw this coming. You know, like 18 months, two years ahead of time, right? You built. Bit, by the, between when you buy the property and you move in, there's a significant amount of time that passes. Yeah. So we thought, let's take this opportunity to refresh our brand and, and refine our identity. And ultimately, that's what led to um, point us towards being an employee-owned company. Yeah. Through that process, we realized that you can't do it by yourself and nobody wants to work for you in a professional environment if you're taking the lion's share of the cake and, and not spreading that around. So if, yeah. if you want to have a life at all in engineering um, and you're the principal of the company, you need other people to be able to handle the caseload so that you can go on vacation and they can go on vacation and you can have this balanced lifestyle and promote this culture that's sustainable in the company. Exactly. Don't worry, burn yourself out essentially. Yeah, so those are all very, very important decisions and, and those are not unique to you or your company, but uh, in those type of companies in particular, and again, if you're growth-oriented, which you obviously were and mm -hmm. are, then uh, you know, the, uh, those are the type of decisions that you have to contemplate and be prepared to make. Yes. Uh, because at the end of the day, what I always find in the companies that I have is that I may create them but then they take on a life of their own in terms of I chase behind them and try to catch up to it. Although I'm the sole owner, I'm, I'm chasing all the time behind them because opportunity present themselves. And I have to then make a decision, although it's best for the company and it helps the company grow, should I pursue it or should I say, no, this is good enough? Yeah. Well, the, obvious, the answer is obvious in my case, like the yours too, I have to grow. Yes. I, I, because if we don't grow, then we go backwards or become dormant. If we come but dormant, then obviously in our business, yours as well, that is supplying a service, that is building a name, the phone ranks, and you have to be prepared to step up to the plate and yeah. saying, here we are. That's a good point. I mean, the, the better job you do, the more people contact you for the service. Yeah. And if you don't grow, then you can't meet that demand. And if no. you don't meet that demand, it has a negative effect on your reputation. Yeah. So they're not, not that you have to grow, but it, no. it certainly makes things fit. Yeah. Um, I wanted to add, <laughs> you kind of think you know what you're getting into when you buy a company or when you step into a leadership position, it has a title on it, but I found that, you know, just because I'm the principal managing partner of an engineering company, <laughs> I actually do very little engineering. It's you're constantly learning about law and accounting and <laughs> these other things, these other yeah. facets of, of business, right? Yeah. It's, it's incredibly uh, challenging, but also yeah. incredibly rewarding. And I think yeah. it, it, it makes you well-rounded in, in your knowledge. Yeah. And then the other part that I find is that if you build the team and going through the challenges there of uh, finding the right people in the right places uh, it is also very rewarding and and sometimes challenging because good people are hard to find definitely you know and so and depending on what type of a company it is uh, you know like uh, ours are manufacturing on the one side uh, uh, you know the lumber manufacturing on the one side and then uh, uh, warehousing and logistics on the other one and then real estate, uh, residential, industrial uh, and uh, commercial, you know, so these are all different kind of companies and to get the right people on board is very, very critical. Certainly. Yep. Yeah. It takes experts in every one of those fields, probably Ex several experts in different facets of every one of those industries and fields. Yeah. Now, the other thing that you guys do is as from time to time, I see a name coming up, although we have not really met all that much. Uh, you know, the, uh, you, you and your, da your wife, Amanda, you're also active in the community. Yeah, we try to be. I mean, we've been here for 10 years. I think it's like 10 years this month that Amanda's been here. Yeah. Um, for, for the first 
portion of that time period, I mean, I was consumed by the business and the growth and uh, there wasn't a lot of room to commit my time to volunteer efforts. Uh, but in the last couple of years that it's, it started to, I've started to have a little bit more time to be able to contribute to the community. So, yeah. um, I mean, we've always made an effort, but more so in the last few years, um, I've been sitting on the advisory committee for design development for the city of Prince George for, I think six years this year, yeah. uh, the chair, the second time, um, this year. So that if you don't know what the advisory committee does, yeah, it, maybe it, tell us about it, but do they do? They, it's a panel of industry experts and representatives from different groups. So real estate, accessibility, council yeah. of seniors. So it's, it tries to be a well-represented panel to comment on or, or to promote, I should say, the best possible design within the city. So depending on what area your land is located, your property is located, it may be in a development permit area. So there's different types of development permits, industrial, commercial, uh, residential, of course. And, and then there's different kind of rules for each one of those development permits and guidelines, if you will. And we provide feedback to a presentation to the panel to try and um, ensure that the development is following the guidelines but to give some practical feedback maybe the designers are not from the north and they they don't design for the climate the way that maybe it should be designed for yeah. in the north if you're used to designing in vancouver it's going to be an eye-opener maybe the first few winters after your building is exposed to this yeah, sort yeah. Of climate so so what they do then correct me if i'm wrong if a project is proposed to the city and if it has to go to to council, or even if it doesn't, it, it is required to have a stamp of approval from. It's so it's not it's not quite like that. We're an advisory committee. The city handles the application. <clears throat> yeah, yeah. And they do an internal referral process. And you know, if you need a to rezone or have a variance for your property, yeah. that is that all goes through a formalized council process. Right. But what are the, what the committee is there for is to 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 give specific feedback yeah. on the project presentation all at one time. So yeah. it's not a referral process like the city has. It's right. There's the designer, they come in with the owner or the team, the contracting developing team, and they present and immediately you get that feedback. And then yes, there's a, a formalized, you know, written document that gets right. sent out, but we're not a authority by any means. No, we're no, just there no, to no. support the, and promote yeah. uh, good it, development. It's, it's meant to be in a constructive way Precisely. more than anything, right? Precisely. Yeah. So, the, uh, so, the, so what other things uh, are you involved in? Uh, well, we spent some time uh, with UNBC, Active Mind Summer Camp, yeah. uh, for, for a couple of years before, what is before COVID. So they take young students that are interested in STEM, so science, technology, engineering, and math, or that have an aptitude in that, and they invite them to these, I think it's like a week-long summer camps at the university, and then they get to be involved and, and be exposed to different types of education because you know not all kids are the same, and yeah. some kids have an affinity for sciences and, and education and academics and this exposes them to that environment at a young age and opens their eyes so that they know what's out there yeah. so the, the involvement was relatively minor i mean you do a presentation and you play some games some structured engineering games to try and inspire some thought and some creativity yeah. but it was really fun to see this next generation of stem uh students um at that age level you know somewhere between nine to 13 years sure. old it's really interesting yeah sure and then uh you know the uh so as you, as you kind of look at your own background right to the time that you went in quanel is saying that looking at what i usually refer to uh you know prince george is the capital of northern bc yeah and and then northern bc generates likely 75 80 percent of the gdp in the province of british columbia and i kind of remind my guys down south they say don't forget about us uh, because here is where it happens yeah. how do you see the future of northern bc anywhere from in the interior but in particular from quanel up to the yukon border and the prince george greater area i don't know about regionally but 
in Prince George specifically, I think that we are underdeveloped. I think that Prince George, there was a vision for Prince George in the 80s that really got stunted in the 90s and, and things just kind of came to a grinding halt. And we had this massive um, urban sprawl kind of issue, if you, if you will, and our taxes are quite high because we have a massive road network and a lot yeah. of utilities and services to maintain. Yeah. And, and I would like to see, and I, I, what we are seeing already, if you talk with a representative from the city of Prince George, they'll tell you that building permit numbers are record breaking for several years in a row. We're yeah. talking three, four years, yeah. breaking records every single year. Yeah. There is development happening. I can tell you that there is because we're involved in a lot of building design projects in yeah. Prince George, a lot of multi-residential stuff, but also a lot of, um, a lot of commercial, a lot of amenity stuff. You see, you see hotels, uh, residences. I mean, you can see them like the Hyatt place right behind us. Right? Exactly. The pool, the downtown pool. Yeah. This is what's going to, I think, make Prince George more attractive for people that perhaps have been living in the lower mainland and maybe they're priced out of lower mainland or maybe because of the economic um, robustness, if you will, of Prince George, there's a lot of jobs here, a lot of need for professionals and tradespeople and, and other other workers, um, maybe that helps people move up to Prince George, you know? That's what I'd like to see. I'd like to see Prince George's um, numbers, population really increase. I think they are. Yeah, right now we're around the high 70s to 80, but I always kind of look at in Prince George. I, I've always, since the time I got here in 1965, I've always believed that the potential of northern BC in particular in Prince George is yeah. amazing. Yeah. And I see this city here 10, 15, 20 years from now, it'll be 200,000 people. Oh, and, I and, hope you're right. And I believe because, yeah. and the reason is simple, uh, you know, because it's the center, although Jerry Tiesten, the mayor of Vandru, would say, no, it, their town is the center, but it's just about the same. Yeah. Anyway, <laughs> but it's, it's about the center of British Columbia. With all the resources that we have here, the rail and uh, crossroads, the road crossroads, and the air, it's, it's a natural center yes. of Northern British Columbia. And, yes. uh, you know, the, and I believe what we will also see is that with all the things that are happening globally, with the global sup supply chain being a real challenge, not even only talking now with COVID, that has made it much, much worse. But even before that is that, uh, you know, Asia shipping goods into the northeast and seaboard and the western seaboard in the United States. Most of the ports from San Diego right up to Vancouver are full. There is no room. And if there is room in the port, there is no room in the infrastructure railroad from there on into those areas. Understood, we are yeah. here with Prince Rupert still has capacity and then the rail infrastructure is still, although slow right now as we speak, but, but still has additional capacity and it's four days shorter, I believe, than it is through any of the other ports. So it's a natural that that will further develop and Prince George will become an inland port. Gotcha. So more you are suggesting more. that P Prince George becomes a port, uh, a That's, land port. Yeah. Yep. And then the other part that I believe is that, uh, you know, like, and we do that interior warehousing is one of my companies okay. where we do uh, warehousing and, uh, 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 you know, and logistics, uh, you know, we, uh, you know, I bought a company about four or five years ago and uh, it had probably slightly over 200,000 square feet of, of buildings. Uh, right now we are approaching 500,000 square feet. Oh, we okay. will be adding industrial buildings uh, between 150 and 200,000 square feet annually. Are they in the same location or are they spread out? No, they are in the same region, downtown here on uh, CN. Uh, interior warehousing has been around for 50 years. Uh, you know, so, uh, and, and it's the largest warehousing company in Northern BC. It's gotcha. on the CN side, on the uh, BCR side, we are building another 80,000 square feet on the BCR side as we speak, yeah. 70,000 square feet. 
and another building that we have on the planning stages and already have the coach for 236,000 square feet in the same area in the BCR side, industrial park. We have an industrial park there of 200 acres, no, 100 acres that we will develop again for the same warehousing. That's and, good to hear. And so we are acquiring more and more. It will be a million square feet in the next two to three years. So you'll be contributing to that building permit uh, break and record next year? <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, be yeah, right in there. And then obviously we're also very active in uh, residential, uh, commercial and industrial. We probably one of the largest uh, in residential builders. Uh, you know, we have three subdivisions, mainly in the North and Chaco region. Yes. And there, the quality of homes have gone up substantially. Yeah, they sure have. And, and so we had a lot to do with that. I was the first developer north of the north of Jacko. I remember actually walking through the Brink subdivision, <clears throat> maybe even before the roads were punched in there. And yeah. I, I, you have a house there, right? Yeah. And, and you were outside of your house and I was parked my vehicle at the end where, where there were some lock blocks and walked down to the lower portion. And I was interested in that. And you came outside and we had a brief conversation about the lower portion development. Yeah. That must have been seven years ago or something because oh, no. the roads went in yeah shortly thereafter have you been there since yeah oh yeah yeah, yeah we're so so and it's, and it's incredible so the interesting part about it is that uh, bruce is that i acquired those properties already in 1987. yeah it's a you long know, time so, to sit on the land yeah because i believe that there was an amazing amount of opportunity there and i gradually uh, accumulated more and more and more property yeah, yeah. you know so same as my operations, the lumber operations here. When I started the operation in 1975, I had no money. I got $25,000 from the bank. I put my business plan together that you were talking about. And the interesting part about the business model is uh, some of my key employees over, uh, you know, looking at all the stuff that I have and uh, preparing things for my book, went through my business model. This is amazing because it still applies today. Yeah. And, and so I dropped it off at every single bank. And I say this for the benefit of those that, and that's why it's, it's so interesting to have you as a guest because you started basically the same from the ground up and, and, and got directed into an area substantially by your mother that then uh, you had to earn your way to become, do all the things that you did, including becoming a master carpenter and, and then uh, doing all these other things that you had to do to get where you are today and going much further than that, I believe. Anyway, so then I dropped my business plan off at every single bank and so on. I had no money. You know, so I had lots of ideas and I had a business plan and everyone turned me down. Yeah. <laughs> and then, uh, you know, I, then I kept going back. I kept upgrading my business plan. What else should I do? And then, then uh, some of them said, well, don't even bother coming back. And then at the end, I had two banks or so that I kept working with. And then at, at the, towards the end, now I had been back about a dozen times to the Royal Bank. And, and again, I had modified, I was always very careful to not make them angry or upset and saying that I had made the changes they suggested and I would like to show them to them. And then uh, I always remember, you know, the, uh, was in 19, beginning of 1975. And again, I was at the Royal Bank. I showed it to the officer that was supposed to look at it. The fellow that was the uh, bank manager of the Royal Bank that time, all on the same level, they didn't have the second story. And uh, it was John Weems. And they had all those different portions of their office set up. So he said, give them the money. <laughs> no, <laughs> that's exactly, yeah. you read the book. Yeah. So, and, and, and so he, I got to talk to John. So, and, and he went there and I was sitting there like, and, and then I heard it all the way three, give him the money, <laughs> give him the money, $25,000. That started bringing forth products. That's wild. And, and, and I sat in the truck and I said to my wife, now what do we do? You know, so, and uh, so that's where it started. And, uh, uh, you know, I got, I got the, uh, the money in July, incorporated the company in July, and it started operating in October with three employees. But that mindset though, like that, that experience where you create something that you think is bulletproof 
and then you take it to somebody and they evaluate it and they tear it apart and, and they say, you know, that's not acceptable. And then you go back to the drawing board and you recreate it and then you go back and it's not good enough and you go back to the drawing board and you, you make it better. That I think is one of the most important um, things you need to have as an entrepreneur because you have to use that in every single exactly. aspect of business. Exactly. And so I remember doing a presentation, and as you know, I do several presentations, especially to people that aspire to become entrepreneurs or d do that kind of stuff, right? And, and so I always remember being part of the panel, and one of the fellows that made a submission, he said, well, the, there is no opportunity because the banks are, uh, you know, not interested uh, in doing things. And uh, I said, well, why would you say that? And he said, well, because he said, I had this great plan, and I went to the bank, and he said, no. So I said, and then? Exactly. Well, he said, it's the banks. This, you, know, it, 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 you know, there's no use. I said, you know how often I went back to the bank with my proposal? At least 12 times. 12 times. That's a lot. And yeah. then finally they said, give them the money. You know, <laughs> and, and so that's the key. You know, and then I stayed. And then after three months, this was delicate. You know, then I lost $50,000 on top of the twenty-five that he gave me. And every time a car wouldn't go by there, I thought, okay, but that's the bank and saying, okay, John, the gig is over, give me the keys. Yep. But he didn't. Yeah. And the first year I made a few bucks and then from there and then I grow. But I had three employees, busted my ass, worked as long as I could stay awake and uh, drove forklift truck, uh, did all these other things. That, and, you know, one of the advantages that I had when I worked in Holland and uh, I, I, was, I was not a good student. Uh, I failed grade three and then grade seven three times and then got a job as a furniture maker. And I became a furniture maker. Good and then worked for my dad, managed a small lumber company, and I worked there. Then I was in the Air Force drafted for two years, Special Forces. Can't believe it. I still don't know why. Uh, maybe I, I had a brown belt in judo. Maybe that was the, the, but it was good training, hard training, you know. So, but anyway, and then after that, worked again for one of the major forest companies my dad had contact with in Holland and became part of that auditing team. But I had at the same time developed already two dreams. The one was that when we were liberated, uh, when I was five by the Canadians, and I always knew from there and then I would, I belonged in Canada, the land of my heroes. Mm -hmm. That was the one. It was just not if, but when I would go. I wanted to go when I was 17. They wouldn't let me. Then I won when I was 24. Yep. The other one was to build my own lumber mill. And, and so when I came off the bus here, that's what I was going to do. Yeah. Not, not if, but when, and I was not going to stop until I did it. You know, so, and, and I was not going to go back. And I had, uh, as you can see here, twenty-five dollars and forty-seven cents. There it is, you know. So, uh, and I was not going to go back to Holland, not get any money from there, either successful or in the box, as far as I was concerned. And uh, you know, I stayed the course. I'm not quite saying that people should do it like that, but that's the way <laughs> I did it. Yeah. And uh, you know, but never give up, and uh, you know, and and staying the course. You do have an incredible story, and, and there's really good takeaways in your book. Um, one of them that really resonated with me, I don't know if it was actually a takeaway or not, but the recommendation or the guidance or, you know, that you have to put family first. Maybe yeah. not, you know, you have to put them up here because business can be consuming. It can consume you all hours of the day. It can take all your energy and all your love away from your family. And uh, I, I think that's big of you to kind of admit that and, and give that guidance to new yeah. entrepreneurs that it's, not, it's probably not worth the benefit of what you're going to get and, to sacrifice and, the family And that's a lot of times the message that I give. A lot of people think that entrepreneurship is basically what you're preoccupied is uh, you know, planning holidays and bringing money to the bank. Yeah. No, that's not what it is. <laughs> no, it's and, ours. And it can be very, very trying on the family and yeah. relationships. Yeah. And, uh, and that's why in my book, uh, Against All Odds, I wrote about it. And, and, and the book is not so much hurrah, hurrah, John, how successful he was. It's not about that. It's about under, with all the challenges, 
you know, that uh, I had, uh, I'm obviously ADHD, a classic mm. case. I had PTSD from seeing far too much during the Second World War, yeah. going through the hunger winter, uh, you know, and, and, uh, and seeing too many things that we should not have seen. And then, uh, uh, you know, having counseling for inner child issues, all of those things, as you do and you talk about your your challenges with Crohn's and all of the other things that you know that that's all part of it and then uh, you know the other thing that you likely may or may not know but uh, I'll take the liberty of kind of talking about it is that another book that I always felt I had to write is ADHD Unlocked mm -hmm. and I started talking about it more publicly there's a stigma attached to ADHD and yep. I felt I had to be more public about it and then I talked about it more in my presentations that I do and then I decided to write a book about it last year it's coming out on July the 8th actually we'll have it in the stores available on the 15th of July oh good and 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 then we started another book that we started last week and you will find this interesting and I kind of like to get your views on it is talking about uh, finding your uh, passion. Mm -hmm. So I think for young people in particular and what reminds me of it is your mom directing you and I've had the same experiences not for me but in my life that I've seen is with my daughters and uh, and uh, you know, at uh, my oldest one in particular, not knowing exactly what she wanted to do, and then uh, you know, we hired somebody uh, you know that that spent a couple of days with kind of looking at what the best choices would be for her skill sets and the abilities, and she decided to go into architecture and became an architect. Uh, although she is a full-time mother now, but that's what she is. That's great. And and. So, but about finding your passion, it is so critically important, mm -hmm. I believe. So often I hear people that say, I hate my job. I don't like it. That affects everything that you do in life. You know, so, uh, uh, you know, so, so I'm trying to, again, share with the public and especially with younger people, but also people that are you know, adults in at some form of fashion is saying that, how do I go about, you know, finding what my passion is? How do I get exposure to it? Sure. And what effect will it have on my life? Yeah. You know, and, and that's why I say in this, you know, the, to me, what is important, not, uh, you know, the, this, but what it says underneath it, my foundation is attitude, passion, work ethic, followed by success. And, yep. and uh, you know, like, I love the lumber industry. I, I, loved, I knew that from when I was a young age. Not everybody is so lucky in terms of that. For a lot of people, they are struggling with what should they be doing. If you make the right choices, because it affects everything that you do in your life, your relationships, your ability to, whatever dreams you have, you know, the choices that you have made in terms of, uh, uh, the work work that you do or, or whatever you are trying to achieve doesn't mean that you have to be entrepreneurs or anything like that but at least making a direction is yeah. critically important now that i have children i can look back on the the kind of guidance that my mother was giving me in high school you know at the time you kind of push back on that you're like oh you know what do you know i want to make my own decisions you're getting too involved in my life let me be me but your parents, now that I'm a parent, you can see the aptitude in your children and you can see what they could be good at or great at. And you're, she was just trying to guide me. She was just trying yeah. to help me. Yeah. She told me many times, you know, if you want to make a living wage, you can work for somebody else. And if you want to be wealthy, uh, you got to work for yourself. You, yeah. you, you got to go out there and you got to get it. And you got to own it. Exactly. And, and, and then be prepared to... The, the earlier you can focus on that, not, not necessarily on, on the narrow things, but in a general sense, that's the direction I would like to go. The more information you have as an individual, even when you're young, then start looking at things in that direction mm -hmm. and become more knowledgeable about it. I always had, although I didn't do very good in school, obviously, but uh, I had this hunger 
of, of listening to successful people that would get presentations somewhere or get close to them and make find out what made them click. Mm-hmm. In a lot of times that were all the same similar things that I now relate to as entrepreneurship, that, that determination, that clear clearness in terms of uh, priorities that we have to do and how we go about doing it and all those kind of things, you know, so, but. What does it take like 10 years, they say 10,000 hours to become a master at something? Yeah. There's a lot of time in your life, in your working career to become a master at very, a whole bunch of things. Exactly. You don't have to put yourself in a box and say, this is what I'm going to be doing for the rest of my life. You can no. do that for 10,000 hours and become exactly. competent at it and then move laterally or up or down or however you go into a totally different career path. Exactly. There, there are people that are engineers that became specialists in medicine. Yes. Yeah. 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 So as you look forward, Bruce, what do you see five, 10 years from now in your career? Well, a major move that we made in access was to bring on a partner named Icaros Gurma. He's a software developer. He's from Brazil. Uh, he came on board three years ago and then bought into the company one year ago. And for the last three years, he's been coding a proprietary enterprise resource plan software. We call it the ERP. It's just our company software. And what we've done is taken all the things that we do on a day-to-day basis, if it takes 10 minutes here, 15 minutes there, filling out a piece of paper, filing this, sending a message over here, it's all of your operational process essentially and putting it into a centralized, standardized um, database. So we have an accounting module, client relations module, project management, that's all housed in this one kind of central program and, and that has been a game changer. That is laying the foundation uh, so that we can scale the company when the time comes. We're not there yet. It may take us five more years to ensure that we have the perfect kind of process recipe. Well, I say that, but in one breath, and I know in another that that'll never happen because you constantly have to be evolving and improving the process. That is something that you'll do for the rest of your career if you want the company to keep getting better. Do you know Terry Tiara? from uh, Vanway. He owns Vanway. No. Well, he put me on this book. It's called uh, Market-Based Management, I believe. Okay. Uh, written Who by wrote it? Uh, Kosh. It's, for, it's about Kosh Industries. Yeah. And it's essentially, one of the takeaways of that book is just constructive recreation or destructive recreation. And you take what you have and what's working and you put it over here and you analyze what's not working and you destroy it and you recreate it. And, and nowadays with with software, it's really easy to automate things. So you can test it out and if it doesn't work, you can go back there and you can change it and improve it. So I I think that's going to be the biggest effect on our growth or the biggest, yeah, the the biggest play that we've made yet is is hiring that position and and putting the time and energy into developing this proprietary ERP. Interesting. And then in terms of hobbies, but what do you and Amanda and the kids? Well, I, I don't have a lot of hobbies over the last 10 years, but I, I, uh, I do like to get outdoors. Recently, I joined uh, kind of a running group, an informal running group. It's not the PG Roadrunners, but uh, um, well, you know some of the people involved, Scott McWalter and, and Dave Scott McWalter, Dave I've heard that name before. Some of this, <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Uh, He's yeah. standing right there. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> hey, Scott. <laughs> yeah, these, uh, actually, um, my, my life currently doesn't have, allow a lot of time for hobbies, yeah. but what's been a big change in the last year or so is um, being inspired by local volunteers and people that are involved in the community and being kind of brought into that fold to try and do more things for the community. Attend a fundraiser. You don't have to raise thousands of dollars, no. but just show up and say yeah. hi and high five some way. people and try and spread some, some positive energy. Yeah. Uh, so that's, that's been a good part of this last year for me. So another thing that I do and you likely do, there are certain things that quotes that I've heard <laughs> that stay in my mind. Andy Rooney was the journalist. Yes. At one. What yeah. was it? 
Yeah, I think it goes something like uh, everyone wants to live on top of the mountain, but all the happiness and growth happens during the climb. So true. Yeah. My wife has said this to me in not so many words about a thousand times. Yeah. <laughs> so so it's true. Something for me to remember. Bruce, a pleasure. Likewise. Thank Thanks for having me. Thank you.